you ever listen to the Jim Rome show, Josh? I did, yes. All right, hold on. Because I can do it for you. You right? Here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, right. Live from Los Angeles, this is the Jim Rome Show on the Premier Radio Network. They should have hired me. Romy, though, of course, maybe in one of the all-time most intriguing career moves, got paid a bag from CBS Sports. He would have been what Colin Coward is on Fox right now. <laughs> I, I'm always curious about that. You know, in in moves that you wonder where they would be right now, Romy goes to CBS. As soon as he goes to CBS, basically Premier kind of shuts it down because Premier, iHeartRadio, they're not going to let him on any of their stations. Uh, even though he was crushing it in Tulsa. Tulsa peeps, you know. And he goes to CBS Sports Radio and then just kind of disappears. Because have you – I mean – you ever watch CBS Network on TV? No. Yeah. No, not at all. Exactly. Exactly. Flip by every now and I'm like, oh, Romy! Romy! And you don't you don't really hear anything he says either. Yeah, I know. Right? It they doesn't do get it. aggregated. Why, why is that? I don't know. I think their social media team sucks. I, what's kind of interesting, too, I hear more... I see more Colin Coward stuff in my Twitter timeline on things that he's just been absolutely wrong or completely misinformed about than I do actual good takes anymore. It's, it's, and maybe that's just Sooner fans. Um, maybe I followed too many Sooner fans, but yeah. It literally pays to be wrong. I, that's one of his great takes. There's no money in being right. tend to think that gamblers might disagree with you on that, but what do I know? Welcome into Hour 3 of the Plank Show. Brought to you as always, Josh. By the crew over at Roof Tech, Josh Tucker, awesome people over there, aren't they? Indeed. Locally owned and operated for 30 years. Give Josh Tucker and the crew over at Roof Tech a call for all of your roofing needs. 405-703-4245. It is time for the Newcastle Casino Top 5 Stories of the Day. Newcastle Casino, where real gamers come to play that's r-e-e-l because newcastle casino has the best reels in town happy hour monday through friday from three to six and conveniently located off i-44 at exit 107 big story number five number five number one in my book if you missed it earlier i told the story about trying to get vin to do a scene setter for ou softball if you missed that story you can find it on our podcast page simply search the ref, uh, however you consume podcast, but Vin Scully passed away last night at the, uh, what was he, 94, 93 years old, 60-odd years as the play-by-play voice of the Dodgers, but also called some of the greatest moments in sports history. I mean, obviously, one of my personal favorites was 1988, World Series, Dodgers Ace. Now, let me, let me, not a lot of people remember this 1988 game one. Kirk Gibson's home run in the 88 World Series came in game one. 13-year-old Chris Plank was sitting in his mom's kitchen because for some reason, when we were kids, the TV was always in the kitchen. And I was watching, uh, I was watching the ninth. And I loved, well, in, in, the, in that game, Jose Canseco hit a grand slam home run literally the moment after, I think it was NBC, put a graphic up that's like, eh, never been a home run, World Series history. Then Jose Canseco hits a grand slam home run or a grand slam. Mickey Hatcher 
Josh, Mickey Hatcher hit a home run earlier in that game. And Mike Davis, who I was one of my I loved Mike Davis because he was in the outfield with Ricky Henderson when he was at the when when he was with Oakland at the A's. And I loved him. And the Dodgers got him. And when he got to LA, he sucked. But he got on base with a walk in the ninth inning. And then that's when Kirk Gibson hobbled up to the plate, barely got there. And then he dug in in the ninth inning of game one of the World Series in 88 and did this. Game right now is at the plate. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. Stoplights. You see all the cars that left early. The stoplights are on. In a year that has been so improbable. The impossible has happened. You and I were listening during the break to Vin Scully call Hank Aaron's 70, uh, 715th home run. One ball and no strikes. Aaron waiting. The outfield deep and straight away. Fastball is a high drive in the deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fence. It is gone. What a marvelous moment for baseball. What a marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the deep south for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. And it is a great moment for all of us, and particularly for Henry Aaron, who was met at home plate not only by every member of the Braves, but by his father and mother. He threw his arms around his father, and as he left the home plate area, his mother came running across the grass, threw her arms around his neck, kissed him for all she was worth. <laughs> and then there's Craig Sager sticking a microphone in his face. R.I.P. Uh, last night after the game, several Dodgers were asked about Vince Scully, including head coach, manager Dave Roberts. He impacted so many, uh, myself included. I feel honored to be able to have called him a friend and, um, you know, endless amounts of people um, that consider him family and part of their families. Uh, this is a guy that was not only the voice of, of Dodger baseball, uh, but baseball in general. He's amazing. 94 years old 67 years he was the play-by-play voice of the dodgers r.i.p one of the two greats one of my personal favorites uh vince scully and i don't know i mean it's just i probably should have made this big story number one so we could go to a break but i just i think everyone that gets into broadcasting specifically play-by-play hopes that they can have a career like that sign me up for uh working at ou for 67 years and making it to 94 i'll take it uh what a great what a legend, Ben Scully, RIP. Anything else to add to it, Josh? It kind of caught your ear or eye overnight. The way that people talk about you yes. when you pass, yes. you know, is very telling. And for Vince Scully, he's getting not just from Los Angeles Dodgers folks, from just people nationally, iconic voice, the voice of baseball, yep. uh, the voice of various generations. And what, how Vince Scully broadcast that moment for Hank Aaron there's a lot of broadcasters plank that quite simply would not have touched the the racial significance of that moment they would have called the home run and let it go by and not mention anything else but 
Vince Scully handles it in such a professional, profound, incredible way. I mean, it just speaks to his greatness. Yep. Big story number four. Number four. So with that in mind, the uh, the Dodgers went out and got a win last night. This one is swung on a drill to center field and deep. Slater going back to the track, to the wall. It's gone. A home run. Mookie Betts with his 24th home run. Hit it to dead center field. And the Dodgers now with a 6-0 lead. And right uh, here on our flagship, the ref in Norman, the Cardinals, the guy they wouldn't give up in a Juan Soto deal, Dylan Carlson got it done Carlson early. swings, and it's a drive. That's deep right center field at the wall. It's a gunner. Dylan Carlson with his seventh home run of the year, 4 nothing Cardinals in the fifth. But, of course, in baseball, Josh Cardinals ended up winning last night. Dodgers did, too. Nobody really cared about the game on the field. It was a game that was taking place off the field where the Padres arguably right won the trade deadline. They get Josh Hader the night before. They had Josh Bell and, of course, Juan Soto. Meanwhile, afterwards, the Washington Nationals, I mean, literally, it went, what, Nationals, Dodgers, Braves, the last three World Series champs. Is that right off the top of my head? Does that seem right to you? Braves, Dodgers, Nationals, is that it? Yeah, yeah, well, you went the opposite way. You really threw me off there. But so <laughs> Sorry. The, the Nationals won the World Series basically four seasons ago. There's only one guy still on the roster from that opening day starting lineup. How is that even possible? Afterwards, Mike Rizzo talked about the trade. He's the GM of the Nationals of Juan Soto. At the end, when... Our demands stayed stayed uh, uh, consistent. Then you know we kind of eliminated uh, the the teams and kind of got down to uh, a small number of teams. Then down to two, and then uh, and then when uh, when the Padres reached the uh, the tall threshold that we had for this trade, uh, we we, uh, we decided to make the trade. Love it. There you go, boy. That was. Uh... Very telling right there on how they went through the process to make the trade. The Juan Soto thing, is it not fascinating to you? And we do this, I don't know, for any blockbuster in any sport, not just Major League Baseball. But I'm looking at headlines on ESPN, on CBS, on Fox Sports, you name it, whichever website you want to go to. Biggest blockbuster. Is this the (laughs) biggest trade ever? It's like, I mean, I don't know. Is it? I mean, is this, is this the biggest MLB trade deadline blockbuster ever? I mean, surely there's got to be something that's comparable. It's funny to me how you can never just have a moment where it's like, man, that's a pretty good move. Like, I, I, I like that for everyone involved. No, no, no. It's got to be, is this the worst or best trade ever made? It's like it can never just be, hey, it's a, it's a pretty good deal. I think that... I think that it'll work out pretty well for everyone involved. No, 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 Josh. It's either got to be the greatest or the absolute worst that we've ever seen. We really, Plank, we need to we need to get a time machine. We need to go back in time five years ago and get the Angels to trade Mike Trout to a contending team. Yeah. That way we can all definitively say, okay, this is the biggest blockbuster of all time. And then when we have these trade, trade deadline day moments, we can all – refer back oh no it was actually it was that mike trout trade that was definitively the biggest trade of all time so here's what's funny speaking of how big this is i guess i didn't realize this but soto is younger than half of the guys that played in the futures game in the all-star game weekend you look at that roster for the futures 
and you just go through the whole roster age-wise, Soto is younger than half of that roster. Wow. And here's a guy that's already won a World Series ring, you know, been in MVP conversation, and won a World Series at 19. Padres got themselves a dude. It's going to be fun. I, I don't know what it'll do for them this year, but next year is going to be fascinating. All right, um, anything else with the trade deadline that caught your ear that you wanted to get to? What do you make of just the Eric Hosmer angle to all of this? You know, he got paid a bundle of cash by San Diego a ways back, and he was kind of the initial starting block piece from Kansas City, and yet, you know, here he is shipped off and out of town, and he's not going going to be one of their foundational pieces going forward. Does he make much of a difference in Boston? How do you... How do you describe Eric Hosmer's time with San Diego? Clearly, it didn't amount to what they initially were thinking it was going to be when he got that big, big deal to start. Yeah, it's been a disappointment. I think I don't blame him for saying, yeah, no, I don't, I don't want to go there. I know he's near and dear to your heart, Josh, from 2015 when they won the World Series. This is a guy that I don't know. It. I feel like, I feel like since what? Since he went to San Diego, he just hasn't been the same dude, right? I mean, it's almost I, – I don't know him. I don't cover him. But it's almost as if he got paid and then he tapped out, right? Eight-year, $144 million contract, largest in the history of the Padres franchise at the time, and he just hasn't been that dude. What um, – he was uh, an all-star in 16 – he won the Silver Slugger Award, best batting average in baseball in 17, four-time gold glove winner, but hasn't done anything since he left Kansas City. Sounds like a win to me, Josh Helmer. Yeah, it worked <laughs> out okay for KC, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, he's one of those guys that maybe would have been better served to have stayed yeah, in Kansas City. I think City. you're right. I think, hey, real quick, let's hustle through big story. Where are we at? Number three? Big story number three? Number three. Um. As soon as this show ended yesterday, a massive story broke involving the Miami Dolphins and Stephen Ross. We haven't had a chance to talk about it, but the Dolphins got dinged a first-round pick next year, which, by the way, they had two, which is funny. They got dinged a first-round pick next year and a third round the following year. Stephen Ross has been fined a hefty amount of money, and he is suspended until October. But it's fascinating that the investigation into this uncovered that Tom Brady's flirtation with the Dolphins was very real. Sean Payton's flirtation with the Dolphins was very real. And, yes, Stephen Ross did offer $100,000 per loss to Brian Flores, but in its investigation they found that it was in a joking manner. But uh, here's my question. Is this a, a distraction at all to the Dolphins, or is it a, hey, how about that? Is it a distraction at all to Tom Brady and his teammates knowing that, hey, this guy that's all in had been trying to work a deal in some way, shape, or form with the Dolphins on the side the whole time? I don't think it's all that big of a distraction to Tom Brady. He's used to handling distractions, right? I mean, yeah, he's got a lengthy – Well, I, how about this? Not Tom Brady, his teammates. Does it signal anything with his teammates? Maybe, maybe a little bit, but Tom Brady just needs to get out the New England Patriots handbook and say, hey, guys, here's how we handle Deflategate. Uh, here's, here's your uh, one, two, three on how to handle this. So I think it'll be much to do about nothing for them and really for the Dolphins for the most part, too. It, if it's going to be distracting for anyone, it's 
to me, it's going to be way more distracting for Miami. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I've got so much more on this. We're waiting on a potential Deshaun Watson appeal for the NFL. We, you know, the interesting thing in the Deshaun Watson case is basically Sue Robinson turned around and, and, and made it about the NFL's policy and not that she saw any ounce of innocence from Deshaun Watson, Watson, which I found fascinating. You know, this wasn't about Deshaun Watson being innocent like he had always claimed. I never did this. This basically became about, oh, the NFL has changed, can't change its policy midstream like it appears they want to do here. So I would thoroughly and fully expect the NFL to appeal the six-game suspension to try to make it more. Big story number two. Number two. Oklahoma Athletics announces this morning a record-setting year for fundraising. $109 million in total donations and pledges uh, from 2021 to 2022. That topped the $100 million mark for the first time. The Get this. The previous OU Athletics record was $58 million, Josh. So they went – you don't think that Brent Venables has sparked the Sooner Nation to feel some kind of way? Sure he has. You don't think Patty Gasso has sparked Sooner Nation to feel some kind of way? Skip Johnson and what he did? Uh, the basketball excitement that Jenny Baranchek and Porter Moser have put forth from $58 million to $109, $109 million. So – $51 million more. That's amazing. Than your all-time high. Do you know what year, does it say uh, what year the $58 million was? 2020-2021. Uh, so essentially last year. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Wow, gosh. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, all, an OU record, 53% of all members invested in key initiatives above and beyond any CD donation required. Uh, $25.2 million towards the Women of Championship Excellence Fund. The $19 million for Love's Field is included in this. So, re- really awesome. Great news this morning for, oh, oh, you's broke. You want to write about that? Talk about that, Greg Swain? They don't have any money. They just announced doubling the amount of, of donations they've had in year over year. Which gets us to big story number one. Number one. Number one. Number one. All right, Josh. Our continued recap of Big 12. God bless. Of OU Media Day (laughs) from yesterday continues. Uh, We talked offense in the 10 o'clock hour, but we haven't talked much defense. So what do you say we dive into that next? We'll hear from both Danny Stutzman and Billy Bowman right here on The Ref. All right, you ready? You want to do some defense, Josh? Yes. Defense. Let's go, baby. Seeing that Gunny of Stutzman Army's tweet through was thrown out there, I guess I can't procrastinate and play on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. So let's go. With Josh Helmer, I'm Chris Plank. This is the Plank Show on the Ref. Always on, on Twitter, at Josh on Ref, at Plank Show, and everybody should be following us at KREF Sports, at Buzz Tulsa, at 947 The Ref. I was not on the floor for the player interviews, but Josh was there. We start with Billy Bowman, who was asked, hey, you know, being the, the coach's kid, being somebody that, you know, obviously I think was frustrated with the way that you played last year, Billy Bowman Jr., 
Feel like you got a little chip on your shoulder, a little something to prove heading into this year? Yeah, I would say so. You know, playing football for a long time, too. You know, playing both sides of the ball. You know, I have just a lot of IQ and stuff like that, so I'm able to pick on things fast. I know the defense not heard from Woody so far this offseason. They're tired of being the reason why this has been an issue for Oklahoma to have success. What kind of a chip do you guys have on your shoulder going into this season about what steps this defense will take and, and how much of an asset you can be to this team? Yeah, I feel like this defense will take uh, huge steps this year. And I mean, everybody might not see it now, but they will see it when the season comes. And I feel like um, with the new coaches that came in, Coach Venables, Coach Hall, just building the secondary, Coach Valai, I feel like those are the guys we needed in order to be this. We don't want to be the reason why the defense is why we lose the game. We don't want to rely on the offense to score points. We want to shut offenses out, so we're going to do that this year. How are you a different player than you were this time last year? I feel like I'm, I'm bigger. I have more confidence. I'm faster, everything like that. You know, um, just going through one season, you know, you kind of get your feet wet a little bit. Freshman year, you know, I go out there, start the first opening game of the season and just get my feet wet. And now I feel like I've been in that and I know what to expect. Last year, you kind of moved around from spot to spot. The fact that you're getting a chance just to kind of learn one spot this year, how much more comfortable does that make you? It makes me uh, a lot more comfortable. You know, I have no problem with playing other positions, but it allows me to focus on the simple things when just focusing on one position. For you guys as a safety group as a whole, how do you feel like you guys progressed in the last several months since Coach Hall took over? Uh, I feel like we've progressed a lot. I feel like this group uh, is becoming very more mature, you know, very more focused on our goals and what we want to accomplish this year. What gives you confidence going into this season that is about to be your finest as a Sooner? Uh, I feel like just going through uh, the great summer we had with Smitty, I feel like everybody has brought this team together, and I feel like we just have a chip on our shoulder that like nobody can take from us, and we're going to go get it. How do you feel about the safety group as a whole on this team? I feel great about it. I feel like we have some young depth, and um, the guys that the guys that will rotate there are going to be good. What's your relationship with Coach Brandon Hall been to this point? What has he meant to you so far? He's meant a lot. He's really came in very understanding uh, person, very great coach on the field. You know, I just feel like um, he's awesome. You know, we doing uh, bonded things at his house and stuff like that. So it was good. You reached the point where your head has stopped spinning. Yes, yes. I feel like I've definitely got over a hump. You know, like I mentioned before, gained confidence back and stuff like that, and I'm ready to roll. Was it tougher men on the mental side of things? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. You know, changing positions a lot and going from playing a lot to not playing, it's definitely a lot. What helped you get over that? I feel like just um, not focusing on myself a lot, you know, do what's best for the team, and my time will come. When that time comes, i got to take advantage. Not just talking about yourself. I know you spoke a little bit about this, Billy, getting locked in to safety. I think that's going to be beneficial for you. But for somebody like Key Lawrence, too, that's the same story there. How can that help him? I feel like it'll help a lot of us. You know, being being just plugged in at one position helps you focus on being great at th- that position rather than just being, you know, average at everything. You want to be great at one thing first, then you can move on to something else. Where's the star power at on this defense? Everywhere. <laughs> Everywhere. The transfer additions, there's been you know quite a few defensive backfield up front, really just across the board. 
all levels of the defense. How is all of that coming together? This came in great. Um, starting the spring with some of those guys, some of those guys just got here in the summer, but it's been great. They fit in well. You know, they came in at the same time new coaches came in, so everything is bonded together. Give us an idea where C.J. Colvin stands. Uh, I'm, I'm not 100% sure on that. Can't really speak on that a lot because I'm not in that corners room a lot. But he's definitely a great, uh, great athletic player and very rangy. There you go. Yeah, I'm intrigued by C.J. Colden, too. I haven't heard much about him, but, you know, we had we had our guy out from Wyoming when he officially transferred in, and they spoke rave reviews about him and what he could potentially add. But, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. I like, I like the potential of a C.J. Colden. Billy seemed uh, a little bit short on some answers, but seemed like a confident dude, Josh. What would you take standing right there? Yeah, he is confident, and I think he's got a chance to be one of the starting guys for Oklahoma. I think that he knows that, and you know, when you're like, and I think this could be the case for a Danny Stutzman as well, whether or not Danny's a starter or if he's just heavily involved. I think you're kind of almost with both Billy Bowman and Danny Stutzman, those guys hedging their bets a little bit. They don't want to get – too far out in front of their skis or over right. top of their skis here. But they know, Plank, that they're set up here based on the way this offseason has gone to where they've got an opportunity to be serious, serious contributors. And not that Billy didn't and Danny didn't see a couple of snaps here and there last season, but this is their chance to see those increased, increased roles. And I think both of those guys understand that. You know, I'm, I'm curious. He mentioned about dudes that were in that corner room. I wish I, I, looking back now, and I think we'll get a better feel as we get into practice, like where Trey Morrison, he's in that room with him, right? So you're thinking about a safety like Morrison. Um, you know, where is Gentry Williams going to end up? There's a name we haven't heard much about. Jordan Mukes is a guy that, again, just looks the part. Justin Harrington is a forgotten guy who's now a walk-on as a redshirt senior. I mean, there's... There's a lot of dudes, Josh, that, I mean, I'm just, uh, Damon Harmon. I mean, I'm, I'm curious where they end up as far as these, this overall defense is concerned because there's really on, on the, and I don't say the depth chart, but on the roster, there is, there's no delineation from corner to safety. It's just they're all listed as DBs. And I know that obviously it Billy Bowman's in Brandon's room, and Key Lawrence is too, but I wonder how much versatility is truly taking place for some of those guys. Position versatility. C.J. Colden, Bob uh, Prudis-Billow asked about C.J. I mean, you're talking about somebody there that had 10 pass breakups at Wyoming. I I get it's Wyoming and this is Oklahoma, but just how all of this works together and, you know, interweaves together, melds together – is going to be really interesting for OU. They've got so many transfer additions. Can I Walkers, somebody else that we haven't even mentioned that's a defensive transfer portal addition on the back end in the secondary. So, yeah, it'll be really fascinating just to get our first glimpse once we see it of that. Really, it would be nice to see a three deep in the defensive backfield, just how all of that is shaken out for Oklahoma. Quick break. When we come back, Danny – Stutzman took center stage with frosted tips, had a little bit of an August dew, little 80s, 90s look in the hair. We'll hear from one of the off-season stars for the Sooners next right here on The Ref. New 
is interesting. Um, and I'm just going to bring this up real quick because I saw John, your buddy John Williams, who I met yesterday. Great dude. You guys got a locked on coming this week? Oh, dude. We're back in it, in the throes of it. We've got four or five episodes every every week now. Beautiful. Beautiful. But he just retweeted this. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't think this is true. Not John retweeting a tweet, but someone said the narrative started out like the Pac-12 is so much better than the Big 12. Now we're at the Big 12 might be better, but it's not a significant difference. I, I saw one person tweet that the Pac-12 is in a better spot than the Big 12. The Big 12's had a year head start. All this stuff that the Pac-12 is going through now, the Big 12 went through, right? Remember Bob Bowlesby sending a cease and desist to, to ESPN? Remember the worries about the AAC trying to get teams out of the Big 12? I mean, it's it was real, and it was a bad spot for the Big 12, but they survived through it, and now they're much more stable at this point than the Pac-12 is. But I, I like Stuart Mandel is the only guy that I've seen tweet about. One dude. Stop trying to make fetch a thing, Stuart. Yeah, I, I'm just – it's like, what, what are we doing here? Oh, yeah. Well, I heard every – what, you had, like, Pac-12 football guru on Twitter? Some dumb <laughs> fan? Right, there's like one national dude that said it. And don't, it was let, like, don't let George Klaivkov have you convinced, Stuart Mandel. Not everybody feels that way. All right, so anyway, my frustration did not allow me to cue up Danny Stutzman during the break. So I, do, I, do I, is there anything on the front of this, Josh, that you need me to, to explain or, or cut out at all? I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head. All right, well, we're all about to find out. We're recapping the player portion of OU Media Day. We didn't get a chance to bring it to you yesterday. Hour two had Theo Weiss and Eric Gray. We just played Billy Bowman, if you missed any of it. Download the show on the podcast page. Simply search The Ref, however you consume podcasts or you. Uh, here's Danny Stutzman from yesterday. Oh, they've made drastic improvements. I mean, it's hard as a freshman to come in here early in January and be ready for what, what college has to offer. And personally, I didn't think I was ready to come in January, and that's why I was in June. Uh, but they came here, they were eager, and uh, they had their ups and downs. But, you know, when summer came and spring ball, they kept making strides. And every single day they were committed to getting better and better. And uh, looking back to where they were then and where they are now, it's drastic improvements, you know, and the, all the linebackers, man, we pushed them. We're proud of them. We, we give them that praise whenever they, you know, whenever they deserve it. And uh, we stay on them because we know how great they can be, man. Those, those two kids are talented, man. The, the way Kip can move and the way Kobe can hit, man, it's awesome, man. That's the future at OU. Well, you talk about that linebacker room as a whole. All of you guys, when we talked to you in the spring, mm-hmm. choose to have not just Brent Venables, like he's some of the linebackers, but Ted Roof, like two of those guys. Mm-hmm. Now that you're on into the summer, how's that been? Is it like continued development, especially when you've got this like massive playbook that you guys are mm-hmm. trying to digest? I mean, it's been it's been great. It's been a blessing. Those two guys know so much about the game of football and just defenses in general. I mean, whenever they talk in those meetings, you know, you're trying to jot everything down as fast as you can. You know bring it all in because they have so much knowledge for the game and I think the linebacker room we all know the opportunity that we have and how grateful we are that they're there and we every day we take advantage of it you know we're always in coach Roos office you know trying to ask for extra film ask to see what we can do extra for them and uh you know we're just grateful we have our head down we've been working hard and we're ready for those games what's that been like for you and Deshaun and David it's kind of like the experienced guys in that room trying to on one hand, take on a new defense, mm-hmm. but on the other hand, bring, bring those young guys along. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think I'm still a young guy. Those are the two old guys in the room. But, uh, you know, when I came in, you know, they, they brought me, you know, like, we know we can be, we know where we how we can play. 
and uh, it's kind of been a total buy-in, man. We've been a whole, we've been a unit. The LV room has been tighter than it's ever been. We're bought in with each other. We bought in with the team, and uh, we know that we're the leaders in this defense. We know that's the standard. So I mean, to the extra extra work we did after workouts, to the extra film we do at the end of the day, and it just that's what it takes to be a linebacker here at the University of Oklahoma. How much talent do you guys have in this linebacking core heading into fall camp, heading into 2022? I mean, man, the talent's it's incredible, man. The sky's the limit for us. Like, you know, you see those those new guys coming in. They look great. The old guys are, you know, they're experienced. we got the chip on our shoulder. And, man, I think expect big things from us, man. I, I'm excited for what the future holds. You know, I, I can't wait to see all the other guys ball out. Can't wait to see what I do. And I'm excited, man. Not asking you to compare and contrast, but mm-hmm. – what was this spring, this summer, what's it been like operating, working with Brent Venables, with Ted Roof, just the entire defensive staff because it's been an overhaul there. What's it been like for you and for this defense? I mean, it's just been – we've kind of been taking all the knowledge that they have. You know, we've been just kind of keeping our head down, working hard, not looking back at the past, just keeping our head on the – you know, kind of looking forward. Like Coach Venables always gives uh, the car analogy where you don't want to be looking at the rear view mirror because you end up in the ditch. You want to be looking through the driver's window and keep your head down just keep driving forward. The level of importance, how important was it for – this defense that Deshaun White's back mm-hmm. I think you know that's a leader in our team I mean Deshaun White he's played a lot of football here and he's, he's been a great player for us I and mean, being next to him it's been great because I know I can trust that guy next to me I know when two threes on the field you're getting the best of uh, 23 so I know there, he always makes big plays he always comes through where do you think David Aguebo is going to fit in for your defense this season I mean he, he's a, he's gonna be a key player he, he's a He's, I don't think our defense would be the same without him. You know, that, that's the guy that can play on the field. You know, he's also played football here. He's, he's ready to go. He's eager. He's excited. And uh, that's a great guy. Me and him, like, we're back and forth, competitive. It's awesome, man. We get the most out of each other. What have you seen from your defensive line in front of you in St. Park for spring? Oh, it's been awesome. The, you know, just the drastic improvement, just in the weight room, getting stronger every day. And uh, it's nice to know those guys can take up the blocks and get free to clear it up for the guys in the back, man. I was going to ask, how much simpler or easier or different is it when you've got the defensive line that's a little bit more traditional, a little bit more just kind of attacking forward mm-hmm. as opposed to some of the other stuff that was going on? Like, how much easier is that for you guys just as a linebacker room to, to kind of digest what's happening in front of you and trick? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the D-line, when they do their job and when they ever do their assignment, it, just, it makes it easier for us, you know. The gaps are going to get cloudy, and I think that's our job as linebackers to be able to filter through that out. And then where they, you know, where they do their thing, we'll do our thing based off of them. So I think it works together in unity. You know, it builds that connection, builds that chemistry, and just that's what makes a great defense. What have you seen from some of the transfer, like Jeffrey, mm-hmm. Jonah, like those guys coming in? What, what, what kind of difference do they add to that defensive line? Oh, they've, they've been great. I mean, in the locker room, those are awesome guys to be around. You know, those, those are guys you want to be a, as team, you want to have as teammates. And I think when they sit on the field, those guys bring a lot to the table. I mean, Jeffrey's a big, strong dude. Jonah's a big old guy. So I think um, those good old players to have on our team, I'm excited to see what they do uh, on Saturdays. Man, I'm pumped to have them. Jalen Redman is somebody that I think for this defense has star power written all over him. He's kind of been surrounded by other guys that have, quote-unquote, been the leading pass rusher, maybe Nick Benito, you name it, whoever. Do you get a sense that he's excited for 2022? I don't want to say that it's just his show. Obviously, it's your defense's show. But do you get a sense that he's excited about what this season 
has in store for himself? Oh, absolutely. Jay Reds has just done nothing but work hard this whole summer and in the spring. I mean, he's eager to get on that field. He's eager to do his thing. He's eager to show everyone just what he can do and what everyone knows he can do. And I think uh, yeah, that's a guy to look out for on Saturdays. That's a guy to you know, just be ready for. Has anybody asked you about the hair yet? Yeah, the hair, um, I talked about it a little bit earlier, but um, it was kind of just a little spontaneous thing. Just kind of, I just got it cut, and I'll, I might re-bleach it for the season. We'll see how that goes, but uh, kind of just a little, a little summer thing. I'm sure you've been asked about Jaron already, mm-hmm. but I want to ask you specifically about uh, that kid in the weight room because, I mean, word is he's a freak. Oh, yeah. What, I mean, what do you see from him? You know, my guy asked like a question I was going to ask. Oh, really? So. Okay, yeah, Kansas, no, you're good. Kansas you go, connection. You go with it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like, that, how much of a freak is he when you guys walk in the weight room? I mean, him? the first day he came in there, I was like, this is Ivan Drago. I think, uh, I don't think, I think he was made in a lab personally. I mean, he's going to be a great player here, just what he can do in the weight room, and it translates right to the field, man. He's going to be a great player for us for many years to come. Individually, how juiced are you for this season? I mean, do you feel like this is a breakthrough-type year for you? What are your expectations individually as you get set to start fall camp? Just kind of improving, man. I think last year I kind of got the feel for it. I think this is the year where it kind of all comes together. You know, I take the coach and that Coach Venables and Coach Roof had taught, and I think I can just bring that onto the field going into the fall camp and then just kind of correlate that to the field, man. I'm, I'm pumped. I'm ecstatic. Now you coined the term Freak D for this new age of Oklahoma defense. I think we were on a Twitter space back in, like, January when you threw that out there. you have a nickname for yourself yet? No, I don't have a nickname for myself, no, man. We got, we got to work on that. I'll let, the, I'll let the fans do that. Now, I'm just I'm just focused on doing my thing on the field, and I know the, the nicknames and all that will come later, man. Frosted tips, is that an August thing for you? Okay, so obviously we're going to get the reset of the hair. What was that with the guys? Okay, that was going to be my question. What happened there? I, yeah, I don't know. Did you, did you, I don't know why Joey did that. Didn't make any sense. Oh, was that? Oh, was that Joey? <laughs> uh, maybe he's just getting mad. Parker, that's my question. That's hilarious. Um, I can sense a lot of excitement from one Danny Stutzman, Josh. I would say that is fair to say. What else stood out? I mean, you were there. Uh, he thinks this linebacking core is really, really good, and you heard right at the end there. I mean, again. He's someone that the the growing pains are out of the way. And just the way that he was talking about, even at the very beginning, you know, Kobe McKenzie and Kip Lewis and some of these young guys, Jaron Canick, it's impressed him how they've stepped right in and been impact performers and been ready for this. And he didn't necessarily see that for himself. So I think now that he's had the, the one full year and here we go, I think he does sense that this could be a breakthrough season for himself. Gotcha. I like him. I like him a lot. I'm I'm hoping he has a big-time season. I'm hoping he stays healthy because I think he has the chance to be pretty, pretty special, man. That's good stuff. Good, good questions, Josh. Good audio, too, huh? How about that phone? Let's go. Pretty nice. It's what I paid for, right? It better be. <laughs> better sound good. Quick ba- uh, break. When we come back, we'll put a wrap on – One storyline that really didn't get to addressed yesterday at Media Day. We'll do our best to answer it next right here on The Ref. One question we really didn't get answered, and it was the battle for backup quarterback. Now, Jeff Levy talked about it a a little bit, but, and again, Dylan Gabriel spoke yesterday about the room, but I feel like of the fascinating battles at camp, 
you could pick any defensive position, right? Oh, who's going to be the starter here? What's the rotation going to look like at linebacker? Who's starting at safety? I feel like on the offensive side, there's depth battles, right? I think Mims is wide receiver one. Weez has an opportunity, if he's healthy, to be up there with Drake. Um, I feel like that, you know, if if Wanya Morris is as advertised, your bookends are set at tackle. If if you see that commitment is based on everything we've heard, Josh, it seems to be there from Anton Harrison. Maybe you end up, if, if Andrew Rame can't get on the field, to have a batter, battle at center. We know the starting tailback appears to be an Eric Gray. But one of the big battles looks to be QB2, right? From the uh, Bevel to Booty to uh, Ralph Rucker, who is the forgotten guy. I mean, there is there's a lot of dudes that appear to be battling to back up Dylan Gabriel right now. And, listen, I hate to be that guy, but you are also looking at somebody that Nick Evers, Micah Bowens, you're looking at somebody who got hurt last year. So of the six quarterbacks they have on their roster, you've got your starter in Dylan Gabriel, but we're going to have a battle for that backup quarterback position. And it's going to be one of the most intriguing ones, I think. Yeah, you just never know, do you? Right. E- even if it's one week in the entirety of the year, I mean, it's not crazy to say that Gabriel might not start every game in That's 2022. Right. I mean, it's just the nature of the beast of playing football. So getting that sorted out and feeling comfortable that you have somebody in your backup quarterback role that you can trust to go win a football game for you right. is vitally important. And then one other note as we say adios for this Wednesday edition of the Plank Show. The AP Top 25 preseason poll will be released on Monday. Noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central Time. I uh, I don't care. I don't care. You shouldn't care. No offense to the AP poll. No offense to the coaches poll. They don't matter. It's fun for us. It'll be fun for this show, but they don't matter. Have a great day, everybody. Hey, you too. Uh, I believe we're still at Cavens tomorrow. I believe so. Uh, but in the meantime, immerse yourself in OU football talk as we continue to look back on media day and look ahead to practice. Steelman and Thune at noon or next right here on The Ref. <laughs>